Hey guys, Sophie here. Just wanted to jump in before the episode starts to let you know that we had a little trouble with the audio on this episode. What can I say? We're still new to this. So if you want to listen, we re- we released it anyway so that you all could check it out, but we won't be offended if you decide to skip it. The audio is all recorded from Hannah's mic, so I'm going to be a little quieter and you might get a little bit more background feedback. Uh, that being said, uh, if you listen, I hope you enjoy and we'll see you next week. Hello again. Those of you who listened to our first episode might be confused here. Um, last week we were going by the name Sunday's Bloody Sundays, and now we've switched, and you might be wondering why. So in the name of uh, full transparency and openness, I just want to be honest with you guys. Um, Sunday's Bloody Sundays is the initial name that we thought up with, but Hannah and I, um, we are both white women, and we're uh, unaware of the the fact that Bloody Sunday is often used to describe the um, heinous brutality uh, that was brought upon peaceful demonstrators uh, in Selma, Alabama, when they sought to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And so we want to be sensitive to that um, and sort of let you all know that that's, that's why we've decided to not go with that name and to pick a new one. And that if we did um, hurt anyone by using that name in our first episode, we are certainly... Um, Sorry, and uh, we hope to do better in the future. Hannah, why don't you talk to us a little bit about our new podcast name? Because it was your idea, and I'm kind of obsessed with it. So I had sort of like the helpful accident of breaking my headphones on my way home from work today. And that gave me a lot of uh, time trying to avoid eye contact with strangers and focus on something else besides my commute. So I decided just to like rapid fire, rattle off some names, focusing mostly on Day, because that's our shared last name. Um, And I arrived at 28 Days Later, which ended up working on a couple levels, since we are both ladies, both days, talking about horror movies. And that's roughly the the amount of time of a menstrual cycle. Yeah, the average menstrual cycle is 28 days. Woohoo! I'm sure that Danny Boyle wasn't thinking that, uh, didn't have that in mind when he titled his movie, but it works perfectly for our purpose. (laughs) So we really want this podcast to sort of feel like you're just out for brunch with a couple of your girlfriends, so nothing too crazy. Yeah, and it's like mostly brunch, but then it's a little bit with a side of homework, but you're... Homework is just a movie that hopefully most of the time will be fun and won't, you know, occasionally we might tackle something that's a little tough, but for the most part, it should be fun. And if you don't do the homework, we're not going to dock your grade or anything. You just get to listen. That's not true. I will know. (laughs) Hannah is keeping a grade book, so. I'm a stickler for the grade. Uh, Actually, fun fact, when we were growing up, Hannah, one of Hannah's favorite things to play was school. 
Mm-hmm. And Hannah would be a teacher. And my dad and I would be her students. And we were brother and sister. <laughs> yes. And we were very, very disruptive. Yes. Um, to the stuffed animals in your class. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, Hannah was born to do this. She's been practicing for her entire life. There was homework in that, too. There was. I don't think I ever did it, but there was homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so Hannah, what have you been up to since we last talked? Um, well, we just had a bit of a long weekend, which was nice. It got a lot of resting and just like general self-care type stuff in, which I felt like this time of year when it just starts getting so dark so early and very cold in Chicago, any opportunity for a little extra, extra me time is always appreciated. And then um, now I'm back at work, which is fun, but a lot because I work with children, uh, toddlers, and a few days away from them, they basically became entirely different people. And I'm trying to figure out their new, their new changes and upgrades. I like what you said about this time being a time of year that self-care is especially important, so my background is in social work, and when I was in school for social work, we talked really, really often and actively about self-care. So if you're someone who's listening and that phrase sounds unfamiliar to you, um, it's just sort of the idea of doing something nice for yourself. And I think one thing that people don't don't think about is, like, I think when we think of self-care, we think, like, taking a nice nap or, like, watching a thing you like or going to a spa. Um Sometimes self-care is doing the stuff that is not necessarily fun, but you just need to get it done so that your life can continue to function and not create extra stress. Mm. Um, like shaving your legs. Like shaving your legs, like paying a bill. Um, <laughs> that people don't think of as self-care. But, but I like that you bring that up because I think us, apart from it just being kind of a colder and darker time of the year, I know that holidays are not always the, the best time of year for people, and it can bring up all kinds of old complications. So please make sure you're taking extra good care of yourself this time of year as it's getting colder and you're um, having all these like holidays coming back to back to back. And I have a question for the audience at large in regards to that. Special feelings this time of year. When you get in the shower after you've been outside and it's really cold and your feet are really cold, A, do your feet burn so bad when you first step in the shower? Bro, I think better socks. <laughs> like, are you okay? Well, see, I'm not sure because second part of my question is not only do my feet burn, but then I get this like sharp pain in my ear. So I think the ear thing <laughs> is normal. Okay. Yeah? I have a friend who's current, you know Mikey, mm-hmm. who's currently doing his residency and he's like my for like the past several years has been my go-to person if I have like weird medical questions. Like I remember texting him one time and being like, Mikey, sometimes when I drink something really cold, I get this sharp pain like in my collarbone. <laughs> and he's like, yep, that's normal. Um, so, um, so we'll ask, we, we can check with Mikey about that unless any of our listeners have good thoughts. But um, my initial thought about the pain in your feet is like you're not keeping your feet warm enough. I wear thermal socks. What more do you want from me, bitch? Whoa. <laughs> what shoes are you wearing? I don't know, like various boots. My feet also just get really sweaty in thermal socks. Oh, 
So then they're getting like even colder. Yeah, maybe it, maybe you should invest in like some warm socks that are also moisture wicking. What? I feel like that could be a real. That's a thing. Yeah, dude. That exists. Yeah. That's a thing. Do you know how long I, I've been living with sweaty feet? I love. Let's not tell the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but like I love the idea that for those people who are listening to this podcast who don't know you as well as I do their their two touchstones for you are going to be that when you go to the movies <laughs> your pint glasses full of olives and also you don't own like warm enough socks <laughs> <laughs> so basically everything I'm doing is just further proof that everyone in high school who voted me Liz Lemon was correct I hope that someone like listen guys Spreadsheet of crazy things Hannah says. Um, <laughs> I would just love that more than anything. So, um, well, speaking of my sweaty, on. sweaty, stinky feet, do you remember that time when we were all driving in the car together and Mom got so upset about how they smelled that she like pulled over, took my shoes off, and threw them away? I do. I do <laughs> um, I don't even know how to segue away from that. <laughs> <laughs> you just there was just such a moment such a moment of silence where we were both like ooh that did happen speaking <laughs> um, of things that make us feel all warm and sweaty I have been finally watching the television show Fringe and I know that you have not seen the show I had not seen the show aside from like one or two episodes I think I had watched the pilot like six times in the last several years. Right. Um, I feel like I remember you telling me about the show and watching it religiously. That's how much it seemed like you should have been watching the show already. Right. So uh, for those of you that don't know, Fringe was a J.J. Abrams created show that was on TV, um, I don't know, in the like mid-2000s that sort of had a similar format to X-Files where you had a two people investigating sort of weird occurrences with a man and a woman with sort of uh, interesting chemistry and one is skeptical. Hubba hubba. Interesting chemistry. Um, oh, dude. <laughs> but I'm like not trying to get into all that because we would be here all day. Mm, um, mm-hmm. But the, the core of this show, the reason that Hannah thought I should have been watching it before and the reason that it is shocking to most people who know me that I've never watched this show is that this show stars one Joshua Jackson, my number one, all-time, best, most favorite crush, who I love. Um, Like, I love Joshua Jackson so much that a podcast I enjoy called Thirst Aid Kit recently released an episode about Joshua Jackson. And when they did, my boyfriend, who does not listen to that podcast, but, like, subscribes to the podcast, like, company that owns it, texted me to say, oh, I heard Thursday kid did an episode about Joshua Jackson. You must be really excited. Oh, my God. Um, so it's like, it's a very real and deep, passionate love that my boyfriend is fine and understands. Um, and so because the show is like The X-Files, which I love, and stars Joshua Jackson, who I love, I've tried to watch it several times. Um, the problem is... By the time I was finally like, I really should watch this show, it was no longer streaming anywhere. Wow. And it's like five seasons, and I I don't have that kind of money. So 
Um, I've started getting the DVDs from the library, which makes me feel like our dad. Um, <laughs> and it's hilarious because the library here in Kansas City, um, at least the one by me, which is downtown, if you take a DVD out, you can only have it for a week and they will not allow you to renew it. Um, Whoa. And the first season of Fringe, you can only get one disc at a time. What is the deal? Are people just like trying to like, are they clamoring to the library to watch Fringe? I guess the fear was that, that like people, it, it seems like as you go forward, the other seasons are like, you can get a whole season at once, which mm. like, is also difficult because like. They only want to give it to you if you're committed. They're like, you know, if you're not sure. season in one week, and if they're not going to let you renew it and you have to wait, like that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but they're so like, I, if you're not into Fringe, if you're not really into it, right. you're not going to devote like, take a whole week off work and finish this, you don't deserve the rest of the show. Um, so, yeah, so just, like, a quick little plug to say, like, Joshua Jackson, American Treasure, like, always and forever, my number one, and just, like, what a hunk, man. What a hunk. It's, uh, a hunk. your issues with the library remind me of me trying to watch the OC when we were kids and you had gotten the DVDs lent to you from a friend, but you didn't want me to get ahead of you in the show, oh, so you'd only give me, like, one DVD at a time. I was, like, rationing you. That's what the, that's what the library's doing to me. But then, maybe you know this, and maybe you don't. A lot of the times, when you would be gone with your friends, I would sneak into your room <laughs> and take a disc and watch it and then put it back and then, like, re-watch it with you and pretend like I hadn't seen it. Ooh, okay, here's what I want to know. <laughs> Ah, uh, god damn. <laughs> the, the, like, the true pain. What a question. Why can't I have both at once? Babe, there's no saying that you can't answer <laughs> this question. You can't. Um, mm, I think I would go with Pacey just because he's a little less whiny. I'm so sorry, Seth Cohen. Listen, Seth Cohen will be fine. Like, Homeboy's got a lot of love interests. He'll be good. He has a lot of fans. Um, He's yeah, married to Leighton Meester Blair from Gossip Girl. Oh, damn. Yeah, so he's doing fine for himself. He'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been watching these days? Okay, well... This is true brunch conversation because everybody I've been talking to, even specifically at brunches recently, has heard me nonstop talk about how I'm obsessed with the TV show Temptation Island, which, if you're not familiar, I'm not, so is the greatest television show, I think, on TV right now. It's a reality show, um, which I am not ashamed to say that I love reality TV. I feel like I just need to pause you really quick to say that the the timber and quality of your voice right now, if if we could lay them out on a scale, is the polar opposite of the way your voice sounded when I asked you to pick between Pacey and Seth. <laughs> you are so happy now, and like I can feel the way your voice is like filling your whole throat. Uh, because all like if I could do nothing but talk about specifically Temptation Island all day, I would. But like basically, it's this. TV show where they take four couples who are 
in long-term relationships and are not progressing forward for some reason. And they separate them, men in one house, women in another house, on a beautiful island in Hawaii. It's like separate ends of the island. And then inside each house is like 14 super sexy single people. And they just like hang out and see if they get tempted. And the true enjoyment of the show is like, duh, they do. Oh my god, it's amazing. Sophie, have we really never talked about this? It's amazing. We have never Oh my god, I love it. So it's like every episode the each like the girls will go to like a bonfire and they get to watch like a 30-second clip of something that their significant other has done that week with no context. And then the men get to come and do the same thing, but they don't interact, they don't speak for like 6 weeks. No. They only see, like, these little snippets. So, like, sometimes it will be, like, a girl is, like, having a really hard time and she'll, like, ask a guy who's really into her to, like, sleep in bed with her. And her boyfriend will see that and be like, oh, my God, they totally boned. And then he'll, like, run home and, like, bang someone. But then in, like, in reality she was, like, just lonely and needed, like, comfort. And then – no, because, okay, but here's the thing, and this is why you don't have to be sad about it, is because in most of these relationships, the girl is amazing, and her boyfriend is a monster, and, like, these girls... is that just the way? <laughs> yeah, and, like, these girls, the guys who are trying to pursue them are, are always, like, literally, like, seeing them being like, oh, you look so nice today, and they're, like, in tears, like, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to them. And it's like, yeah, you, like, you go out there, you do your thing, your stupid boyfriend, like, if is with you for, like, what, like, some of them it's, like, five years, and they're like, mm. this one guy literally says, and I quote, I don't really have feelings or emotions, and I understand why that makes my girlfriend think that I don't care sometimes, but I really do. And then that episode, he, spoiler alert, oh, I don't know if I should spoil it. He has a threesome, and they show everything. What? They show everything, and they just blur it out. Oh, my God. And it's on USA. This ain't no Lifetime shit. Wow. Well, if you want, like, that level of sexiness, but you don't want it to be sad, you I, might I recommend the show The Affair, starring one Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> All the roads lead to Joshua Jackson for Sophie. <laughs> Um, but do you think that your boyfriend um am I allowed to like use his name (laughs) I don't know (laughs) do you think Jeremy if Jeremy would frost his tips and be uh a Joshua Jackson character for Halloween next year like do you I think he would do that Mm -hmm. he would have to cut his hair Mm -hmm. just grow it out a little (laughs) I don't think he'd cut his hair for you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Sophie's boyfriend does not love her enough to frost no, frost no, the tips no, of his hair. He would cut his hair. I think he might frost his tips. <laughs> <laughs> and I ask you, audience, which is more important? <laughs> I mean, fair question. But also, if he frosts his 
tip, what's he going to be? Like Damon from Urban Legends? Like Yeah. That's not the Joshua Jackson character anyone wants, Hannah. But sometimes it's the Joshua Jackson character that you deserve. <laughs> Ouch, that really hurts my feelings. <laughs> I don't think I deserve a Pacey. <laughs> like, at a bare minimum, I deserve a whatever his name was in Curse. Like, spoilers for Curse, which is like 20 years old now. But like, at a bare minimum, I deserve the guy who's like a werewolf and he's kind of a creep, but he loves you so much he's going to also make you a werewolf and kill everyone else that loves you. <laughs> Ooh, sounding a lot like the motiva- the motivations of the killer in this fine flick. <laughs> yeah, Hannah, why don't you tell us about the movie that we're talking about this week? Okay, so we're talking about another movie that I, I love this movie. and It's a fucking gem. It's so fun. And, like, when I watched it for the first time, I was wondering, like, I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, why do I like this so much? And then I did a little more reading about it today um, and realized there was, like, more of a interesting and, like, complicated backstory behind the production of it that is, I think, what leads to it being so enjoyable. But um, we're talking about Slumber Party Massacre from 1972, I believe. Is that 82? Uh, 82. 82. Uh, 1982. Um, and... I mean, that's important because if it came out in '72, it would be the first slasher, right? And it it is not. It is not. Um, definitely an est- a pretty established genre at this point. So we're we're getting some you know cookie cutter scenes that we expect from a film of this nature, and basically you're getting everything that you want to know about the film in the title itself. It is a slumber party. There is a massacre. The end. The end. The episode done. That was see you next week (laughs) see you next week on talking joshua jackson um (laughs) the joshua jackpot he is such a honey pot oh man see i'm just good with coming up with these podcast names they come to me well that'll be my next podcast where i like Alone in a dark <laughs> 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 Okay. <laughs> Back on topic, because like I could talk about Joshua Jackson all day, and I know that you know that's true. I can tell that you're getting a little too turned on right now, so I think we need to talk about this weirdo dude and his <laughs> very, very long drill. Aggressive power drill. Aggressive power drill, like overt, like dick okay, reference okay. of a the, power drill. Plot of Party okay, so... For those of our listeners who didn't do their homework... Mm, well, yeah, so you don't really deserve to know the plot, but I guess I'll well, tell you anyway. No, pause right now. Go watch the movie, take vigorous notes, and then return. And don't waste my time. I'm just kidding. I, like, never even did my homework in high school, so I really have no no area to be complaining. But, um, basically, we are introduced to um, our main character, Trish, who is very clear in the beginning to let you know that she's 18. Just, like, throws that out there right away. 
Um, so, you know, we don't have to feel like creeps for watching this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but again, is that the movie or the director's influence? We'll get into that. But she's having a slumber. Her parents are going out of town. She's having a slumber party. It's going to be some gals getting together, smoking some weed, drinking some what appear to be wine coolers. Um, and, you know, just having a good old fashioned slumber party. But oh no, a man has escaped from the mental institution. Um, and naturally, he sets his sights on the slumber party. Although it's never really explained, like, how he came to that decision or how he found her house or, like, why he became obsessed with her. But he just starts, like, hardcore massacring folks um, all over that house. And the town, really. Because they make a big deal about how, so he was a spree killer who had killed five people. And so at the beginning, they make a big deal about him, like, trying to get to five. But then, like, he gets to five and just keeps going, and they don't really establish, like, why anything is happening. Yeah. Um, Which I sometimes honestly think is creepier, though. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, in a... Isn't it in Black Christmas, the original, they don't, they never reveal, like, what the thing was, what the motivation was there either? Or who the killer is. Or, yeah, or even who the killer is. Um, Which I like. It's just weird that they make a big deal about it and then leave it alone. Because it's like, you could just say he killed five people and then never come back to it. Yeah. They make a big deal of having him, like, count the bodies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, several times. And he has to, like, keep them all together. Um, But, yeah, it's like... It basically, a man escaped, a spree killer escaped from where he was being held and happened to find a house where the parents would be going out of town with a teenage daughter who he could obsess over who happened to be having a slumber party that night. Right. So basically, it's like the luckiest day of this <laughs> crazy man's life. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit about, I think... Some of the things that you learned reading about this movie, I already knew when I watched it. So I want you to tell me about, like, what was your experience the first time you watched this? When was that? And um, what kind of stuff did you learn reading about it today that sort of informed your your feelings of the movie? Um, okay, so I watched it originally um, in October. So, so like, this year? You just saw it a couple months ago? Yeah, like a, like a month and a half ago. Okay. And when I was watching it, like, it gets pretty quickly into, like, exploitation of the female bodies. I mean, like, literally, immediately, we're seeing the main character, who is, like, a teenage girl. We're seeing her boobs. Um, so I kind of was like, oh, okay, so it's going to be like that. Um, but then it was sort of funny because at times, like, the tone of the movie doesn't match that vibe. Um, so... At the end of it, I just kind of was like, well, that was, like, pretty balanced for an early 80s slasher movie um, for what I'm used to of that time. And then what I learned reading about it today was that it was written by a woman and directed by a woman, (laughs) which I was like, what? No way. Um, But then what I learned... Further from that is that in order to get it made, the 
male producer was in yes was insisting that they keep or that they put in all these scenes of nudity to be able to make the movie that they wanted um so when i heard that i was like wow that makes so much sense for why the movie feels in so many ways like it it feels like a slasher that's made by a woman with like a gross dude breathing down the back of her neck like slays yeah, like it up He's got like mustard dripping from his mouth to his lapel. Like, more tits. <laughs> and there's that like crazy scene in the shower where it's just like, oh my god. on her back and moves down to like just her butt and stays on her butt for like a long a time. A long time. And she's, it's just like soaping, sudsy butt. Yeah. Just like, ugh. It is uncomfortable. So, so yeah, like I know that you look at some of this stuff. Um, but I, I was reading, so I had seen this movie before. Um, I uh, I think we covered this in the episode last week, but I review movies for bloodygoodhorror.com, and I remember... Hey, hey, this is about us. <laughs> this is about us now. You keep that to yourself, Missy. <laughs> I think it's talked a lot, uh, talked about a lot, as far as, like, slasher movies, and especially, like, um, feminism and horror movies and sort of... the female horror directors and things like that. So I saw this movie for the first time probably several years ago. And so I watched it the first time knowing that it was written and directed by women. Um, so we should say it was written by Rita Mae Brown and directed by Amy Holden Jones. Um, and so watching it this time, I went in and read some of the IMDb trivia and some of it was fascinating. So one of the things I was really fascinated by um, is so basically the director Amy Jones had shot like a short version of this movie just of like the prologue um, to try to get a directing gig for Roger Corman because she had before this been working as a film editor and wanted to direct movies. She didn't want to edit anymore. She wanted to direct. Mm -hmm. um, and so like she shot a really short version of the beginning of the script to try to get Roger Corman's attention. Um, and basically, he, he was really into it and wanted to do the movie feature length. And then she was given the option to either be the editor on E.T. or direct this movie. And she said, I want to direct this movie. Um, which I just think is, like, such a really cool, um, like, clearly she, she wanted to direct and she was interested in this story. Yeah. And, like, was going to do it even though, like, maybe it, like, E.T. is a movie that more people know, right, and are aware of. And right. Um, but I think if you're a person who enjoys horror movies, this movie is really important to a lot of people. So, yeah. Um, I thought that was really neat. Um, well, and that kind of, too, is, like, her with the, her reading the script and really liking it. Um, there was a lot of watching this the first time and not knowing backstory to it. There's a lot of moments throughout the movie where I, I wasn't sure if it was being serious or being satirical um and then learning after the fact that the woman who wrote it like wrote it as a satire right. then she liked it and wanted to do it a little more seriously so she like tweaked it and that's how you end up with kind of like both of those vibes going on at the same time yeah well and my impression too is like a lot of the places where it's played like straight and less like a parody have to do with the like male production team being like 
we just want to make a straight slasher. Yeah. And so I feel like the women who were involved in this movie, I think, did a really cool thing where they're like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, that's what we're going to do. Um, but like you said, I think even though there is uh, a decent amount of nudity and it definitely falls under, like, exploitation in several scenes, like, I think, like you said, you do still get these really great scenes where, like, there's just, like, really weird satirical stuff going on. Um, probably one of the most famous uh, iterations of that in this movie that I'm sure you were going to bring up, so let's talk about it, is um, one of the characters whose name I can't remember, but I'll, I'll get to it here in a second. Um, so a pizza boy comes through the door and <clears throat> is murdered. He gets his eyes drilled out, and so they drag Which... his body into the house, And but he's already dead. And so all the Is it Jackie are around, that you're talking about? What? Jackie. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she decides to open the pizza box and start eating the pizza off of the pizza boy's dead body because like being upset makes her hungry. Yes. Upset, Literally the one girl the one girl, I think her name is Brooke, says he's so cold and Jackie goes, "Yeah, but the pizza isn't." <laughs> yeah, it's And she opens it opens up the pizza and puts it on top of his dead body like on top of his back like a table (laughs) um it's really delightful and actually like um i had the timing of watching this movie was so fascinating so a friend of mine had just sent me an article i'm gonna pull up the name right now um about female hunger in horror movies that i loved and i found it so fascinating and it sort of talks about the idea that, like, as women, we are sort of raised to try to, like, to try to hide our our hunger and our desire and our urges and our want for things. Um, and so there's this really interesting trope where we have these horror movies that are super interested um, in women eating and sort of make it a grotesque mm. thing. Um, and it talks about the the French film Raw, as well as, like, there's a scene in Rosemary's Baby where Rosemary, like, cooks the steak and then is eating it when it's, like, essentially raw. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this fascinating article. And so watching, the, and it's, like, this really beautiful piece that's sort of talking about a real societal issue and the way that horror um, sort of deals with it. And the woman writing this essay is a woman saying, like, watching these movies made me feel more aware of, like, not wanting to be afraid to eat in front of people. Mm-hmm. And since I've read the article, I have definitely felt like, oh, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. Like, if I'm out with girlfriends and we're all splitting an appetizer and they all stop eating, I'm not going to stop just because they did. Like, if I'm still hungry, mm. I'm just going to keep eating. And so, like, watching this, that <laughs> really hit a chord for me after reading that essay because this girl is just like, I'm stressed out, I'm hungry, I want to eat something, I'm going to eat this pizza. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that part I thought was so funny. And there were, like, there's a, a part, like, sometimes it seems like they're they're mocking horror films in general or slasher movies in general. That particular moment, like, when she's just like, you know, I'm upset, I'm going to eat, was so funny to me because... It, it didn't seem like it was um, directly connecting to any, like, classic trope of a horror movie necessarily. Um, but, like, 
and I felt like the I watched it with some like guy friends, and I felt like for them they were just like that's so weird and out of place. And I thought it was really funny, and I guess I didn't really put my finger on it at the time, but I feel like that was sort of probably because of just like how there is like a weird thing with women and eating and especially eating with people watching and like her just being like, I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) Right. So really quickly, if you're interested in this article, um, it was written by Laura Ma and the article is called, there's nothing scarier than a hungry woman. Mm -hmm. And it was on electricliterature.com. It's really phenomenal and I would highly recommend it. Um, So, yeah, I want to talk about, like, some of the parts of this movie that, uh, that, that we like as far, that, like, work for us, and then things that don't work. Mm -hmm. Um, so one thing, because I knew we were going to discuss the movie for this podcast, I was sort of looking for things that would be, um, positive to discuss. So I love, we, we have these two characters, I think the new girl's name is Valerie, is that right? Um. Uh, yeah, I think so. This girl, Valerie, she and Trish are neighbors. Valerie has just moved into the neighborhood. Um, and Trish's group of friends, uh, primarily one of the girlfriends, decide they don't like Valerie because, like, she's better at basketball. Um, <laughs> Classic. There's this terrible, there's this ter- terrible stereotype where women don't like any other women that are um, good at things. So, <laughs> so that's happening in this movie. And, um, Plus, I, bu- I don't and think so we Valerie- see very much of her in the shower. Do we? Valerie? Yeah, like we see her showering and watching the other women be like really like right. like exploited, I guess. And then right. but she's just right. kind of like watching the them. Yeah. So you have like Valerie who I think you could definitely her. read into that that they don't like Valerie cuz she's maybe a little more on the Kinsey scale than there. dynamic in the whole movie is that uh, Valerie is at home with her young um, whose name is Courtney, is that right? I don't um, remember what that little annoyance's name was. Well, so it's, so, like, I should say that the thing I enjoyed was that, like, Courtney uh, goes, at one point, like, goes up into Valerie's room and is reading her Playgirl magazine. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love, like, because we so often get exhibition of female bodies in horror films and particularly slashers in this era like I love that we in this movie have like women being lustful and being and this little sister just being curious about bodies mm-hmm. and kind of being like yeah let's like look at all these centerfolds together um but it did make me laugh because I am a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan and I am currently in the middle of a rewatch. And I am rewatching season four, which for those of you who are Buffy fans know is when Dawn comes along. Oh, yeah. And this vibe was reminding me a lot of Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> just like, ooh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, She's just like. I mean, I feel like you and I had our issues as older and younger sister. But I just feel like there is something about younger sisters in pop culture that is, like, unfair to younger sisters everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean the like Valerie is being like is like making her food like lending her her porno <laughs> being like super cool about it and Courtney's just like 
you're so boring. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like, I want to practice making out. And it's like. She, like, wants to go over to the slumber party because she thinks there's going to be boys there. And when her sister is like, yo, you're, like, 13 and we don't know these girls. Yeah. She's like, you never let me have any fun. It's like, it's like, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that dynamic. But yeah, so it's also. Made me laugh so hard. Yeah, because it's also really funny the way that they. Um, so like another another thing uh, um, about the movie is that Amy Holden Jones, the director, was as you said an editor. So this movie does play around with like humor through editing a lot. Um, and so the way that they cut back and forth between the slumber party where these girls are like getting, they like get, they get naked to change into their pajamas and there's like another long scene of them all just being naked as they put on pajamas. And one of them for some reason, what's her name? Jackie is like wearing a super revealing, like on un- obviously uncomfortable negligee. Yes. The other one. Although in, like, I, although you, she never. And then Jackie's like, boom, my tits are out, which like for all more power to you, but like. I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with my girlfriends and I would not necessarily be like, let me just be in this like lacy little number. Yeah. Although I did find it interesting that the actress who plays Jackie, she's the only one who's like, who didn't actually go like topless. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So she didn't, she didn't, uh, she never was naked in the movie. And so I also wondered if that was like, the other girls all get naked, so they get to wear, like, big baggy pajama shirts the rest of the movie, but, like, she didn't, and they're like, okay, well, we gotta keep you sexy to the audience, so we'll put you in that nightgown. Um, But the way that they cut back and forth between them, like, smoking pot, drinking, you know, like, talking about sex, and physically, like, getting naked, and then they'll cut back and forth between this, like, between the two sisters, like, watching TV, making Kool-Aid, <laughs> like, arguing about how they, like, how she's not going to take her to the party. Making Kool-Aid with a horrifying amount of sugar in it. Yep. Like, oh, my God. That was so upsetting. But I thought that um, that was, like, a, that was also sort of a clever wink, like, right. on the director's part to kind of go back and forth between them. Well, and, like, we have a great version of that later on when there's a murder happening I think it's when one of the boys is getting killed oh yeah and Valerie is watching a horror movie so it's cutting back and forth between someone being killed in the horror movie and this guy being killed outside Mm -hmm. Um, and like of course at this point Valerie doesn't know that this is going on next door because or across the street because she didn't go to the slumber party um but it is an, a really interesting juxtaposition to have her sort of like watching a slasher while one is happening in that neighborhood. Yeah. And I see that that and that whole sequence too, I actually I really liked, especially when you consider like what what time this came out in. Um, but it's it's after this the pizza boy has been killed, which announces to the entire slumber party that there is a murderer. Um and the at this point, like two boys from school had um like snuck into the house to like play some pranks on them. They found them. Now they're all just hanging out together, spending so, so, so much time trying to figure out like something about like the baseball score. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which was also really funny. Um but now it's like 
everyone that's in the house is aware that some that there's danger outside. And um, the boys, in a surprisingly emotional turn from two boys who were, like, standing outside the window watching them while they change, are like, if we both run at the same time, one of us can get away, which is actually pretty smart Yeah, for a horror movie. I agree, but it's interesting because I think uh, you could read that either way. Like, I think in the movie, they're like, we're doing this to save you guys. Mm -hmm. But I also read it as like they're just trying to get out of there and they don't really care what happens to the girls and they're yeah. just gonna at least one of us will survive yeah I suppose that's true but I, I guess like logically to me I'm like yeah that does if you run out of opposite sides of the house yeah, at the same time that's a smart move especially yeah. for an eight early 80s horror movie but unfortunately one guy just gets power drilled immediately and the other guy he gets caught up to with, a, like, a cleaver. So they both... Yeah, it doesn't work for either. They're both taken out, and then it's just the ladies left to handle the situation. Um, I was wondering, did you notice the reference to Halloween in this movie? No. So um, I forget... I'm, like, looking at the IMDb page, and I forget which character was, like, the popular girl that didn't like Valerie. Um Oh, the one with the uh, red striped shirt. I think it was Kim. Kim might have been Kim. That seems right. So, yep. So, Kim. Nope, it wasn't Kim. Kim was the one in the. Uh, who ends up in the refrigerator. Oh, right. She's my favorite. Space baby. She's my favorite, too. Um, might have been Diane. Yep, it was Diane. Okay. okay. So, um, Diane, played by Gina Smika Hunter. Uh, she is walking home from school, and we see a first-person POV shot from inside a car following her down the street while she walks very slowly, mm-hmm. like Michael follows um, Lori in Halloween. And the music cue, even, is, like, pretty similar, actually, mm. to Halloween. Um, and I... Oh my gosh, I wish I had texted you when I watched it because I got so excited. I was like, this is a great, because you know, um, this would have been what, like four years after Halloween came out? Yeah. Um, and being written as a parody, like that to me very much felt like, oh, we're doing an homage, like we're gonna, we're doing an homage to that. And then it turns out that it's not a killer or anyone scary, it's her boyfriend. That's <laughs> scare her. Yeah. Um, but I really, really appreciated that because it, it was, it, it had to be intentional, and it was very well done. How did you feel about when they, uh, when she called her boyfriend and all the girls listened? Oh, it cracked me up. It was so him. funny, like boo-boo or yeah. something like that. And she asked him, like, am I getting any better? <laughs> yeah, it was very, very great. Um, but I like that because there, there were parts of this movie where the way that the women at the slumber party were behaving – it's like if it was a story about a group of guys hanging out, it would have been like primarily the same. Right. Like they well, were drinking no, and smoking and talking about right. sex and talking about sports and like none of that felt yeah, none of it felt like forced or strange. Yeah. I mean, this movie absolutely passes the Bechdel test. Like I wrote that, wrote that down like very early on mm-hmm. in, the, in the watching of it. 
Um, but yeah, I love, I feel like um, it's very well established that John Carpenter's Halloween is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time and definitely like favorite horror movie of all time. And I think Halloween gets a lot of credit, which I think is deserved for having the, the girls like relationship and friendship and dialogue feel natural. Like Deborah Hill, uh, who did a lot of the writing for the, the girls dialogue did a phenomenal job. And she's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but I had so many moments during this movie where I was like, this feels like the kind of shit I would talk to my friends about in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels very naturalistic. Like a, for a movie that in other sequences is like super silly and ridiculous or like really scary and absurd. There are some scenes where they're just kind of like shooting the shit. That mm-hmm. so real. Yeah. And I really love that. Yeah. And, um, I think in a similar vein, something that the director did on purpose, um, was having secondary characters be played by women as well, but have it be like, and in, 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 I guess like kind of in all three of the cases of the main secondary women that show up throughout the film, they're in jobs or roles that might more typically be a man in life or in a film and she'd made like a concerted effort to just have it be women but not have it be a big deal right so it's like a very like seamless thing where you don't even really notice it it's like in the beginning there's a um like a telephone mechanic mm-hmm. um which is a woman later there's I don't know. Whoever's that woman who's like drilling uh, people. Handy woman. She just like was a person that worked on set as like a tech person who helped build sets. Oh my God, really? Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, That's so funny. Um, I also love how she just drills a hole through her door. She's like, I'm putting a peephole in. And I didn't bother to check outside to see if anyone was going to be. Yeah. Uh, And the coach. Then they have like their uh, basketball coach who's a bigger character as well. Yeah. And I actually love that. So like, I think this would be a great time to shout out. Um, there's a wonderful book that like, if you're someone who enjoys horror and listens to any other horror podcast and read books, I guess, but like you've heard of this book, like even if you haven't read it, you've probably heard this book. And if you haven't, might I recommend you check it out? Um, it's a book called men, women and chainsaws by Carol Clover. Um, Carol Clover in that book is the person who uh, coined the term final girl, and she writes these phenomenal essays about, like, gender and politics in horror movies. Um, And one of the things that she talks about, she has a whole essay in the book about slasher movies. Um, And she talks a lot about the way that the weapons in slasher movies are often very phallic. So Mm -hmm. we'll get to that shortly, because this is the best example of that, probably. What did I say before when I couldn't think of the word phallic? I said, like, you say like dick-like? dick-like or dick-representative. Um, <laughs> one of the things that she talks about is that, like, you will often get, um, you have your final girl, right? And I, I think in this movie, one could argue that you have final girls, like, you have several. Yeah. Um, but you will often get... A oh, especially at the end battle, when it's, like, both of them together. Right. final girl and especially in later in later slashers you have a man come to rescue the woman and then he's like pretty incompetent doesn't help so like 
I'm thinking of um, the Texas Ranger in Texas Chainsaw 2 who mm-hmm. comes to save Stretch and gets himself murdered. Um, and there's another example I can't think of off the top of my head. But well, I what's the boy in, the, even the boy in the movie Final Girls? Right. He's like exactly. stabbed sitting on a stoop while she's doing it, all the work. Right. So I love that like this, this movie, like when you were talking about making secondary characters women, like in this movie, that character is the basketball coach. And mm-hmm. like, she's a woman. She's like very well-meaning and she wants to help. Um, and like, I think it reads totally different. That's such a great point. Female character. Like I think that's super fascinating. And I can't take any credit for that at that point. Like Carol Clover talks about this movie a lot in her chapter on, um, on slashers and makes that point that it's an interesting subversion to make that, that sort of savior, attempted savior character be a woman. Yeah. I felt like when I was watching it, I wanted her to succeed so much more. Yeah, same, exactly. You're like, no, no, no. I was like, no, but she's so nice. So obviously, I think we should like end our discussion talking about like the killer and his weapon. But before we get there, like I want to talk about the way that men are portrayed in this movie. Mm. Um, because like all the male characters in this movie are either like totally ineffectual and not helpful or they're super creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking especially of her, of the, so Trish has a neighbor and her parents have like asked him to keep an eye on her. Um, Ugh. And he is the creepiest fucking creep I've ever seen. I know. And I, and I like could not figure out if he was supposed to be creepy or not. Like if he, if, if it's just like in the eighties, that's just what you did. I have to imagine that because this movie was written and directed by women, like, it felt to me like something where his character was meant to be, like, part of the parody, and then, like, when things, when when the directors, and or sorry, not the director, when the, like, production team was like, we want to make a straight slasher. Like, the tone. They didn't read that as creepy, and they were like, we'll leave it in. (laughs) Yeah, so, like... Or maybe, or maybe it's also like, you know how you just said like, they had the secondary savior be the female coach, right. that might normally be a woman, would be like the neighbor who's gonna come and help and like just check on the kids, but instead right. it was a man and that made it so much weirder. Yeah, and he was a man who was like super creepy. So there yeah, are, there's a scene where like Trish gets home from school and she's like sitting at her piano playing music and he like is in the house and he scares her and when she jumps he's like oh sorry did i startle you i hope i didn't startle you <laughs> like it's calling out to announce you were there you just like snuck up behind her and they does the same thing to um her friend who's like getting firewood and like sneaks up directly behind her with a fucking machete and is like oh i didn't mean to startle you like that's why to me that character reads so much as like there's no way that a woman wrote that and didn't realize mm-hmm. what she was doing. I think it got like the it got kind of misconstrued by like the direction that the production team and like Roger Corman wanted to go with having this be like a straight horror because like the way he's written is so comical and weird. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, did I scare you? I'm just out here decapitating snails." Shetty <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> he's in their backyard. <laughs> yeah, and he like. He doesn't announce his, himself at all. He just 
walks up directly behind her and machetes the wood pile in front of her mm, face mm, 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 mm. and then apologizes for scaring her. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that guy. That guy's ugh. cargo yeah. pants and a Hawaiian shirt. It's like he's a lot. He's a whole thing. He's a whole lot. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about our killer, Russ Thorne. So Russ Thorne's weapon of choice is a giant um, hand. Giant. Battery powered power drill. I yeah. would estimate that the drill bit is like two to three feet long. Yes. On the shot. <laughs> yes, extremely. Um, and there's, if you know anything about this movie, there's like a super iconic shot. I think it's before he kills the popular friend in the um, garage where like the shot is through his legs and she's like right. on the ground and he's holding it so it's hanging between his legs like a dick. Yeah. Um, so, like, it is, like I said, Carol Clover talks a lot. Like a phallic symbol, Sophie. Right. <laughs> Carol Clover talks a lot about the idea that, like, um, in a slash, in a typical slasher, the weapon is often phallic. You have Michael Myers' giant knife and Jason's machete and Freddy Krueger's, like, very long knife blade fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that often your final girl is going to be in some way androgynous and that the way she defeats the... Um, the villain is by taking his weapon from him and using it against him. Right. Um, and so, like, in this movie, we have this guy, Russ Thorne, who has this, like, giant, um, long, impossible, the battery life on this thing for a yeah. 80s was impossible. It was infuriating to me. Um, but, yeah, he's just, like, running around, basically impaling people with his power drill, but he's, like, always holding it, like, dick level as he's swings it around. Um, and, uh, do you want to tell us what happens when Valerie confronts him? One of our final girls. Um, do you mean when she literally chops it in half? Yeah, she literally takes just the tip. And, like, the the face he makes is so pained. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she takes it one step further and just goes ahead and takes the hand, too. Yeah, chops his hand off. Yeah. she does that he gives her this like horrifying speech where he's like um you're so pretty all you girls are so pretty like i love you it takes a lot of love to do this to a person like, mm-hmm. you know you want it it's just like really again because this movie is written by women like that would i don't think that ever would have been achieved yeah male writer. although like, you know what i also think is funny when you were talking about the male characters before is that um that one girl's boyfriend, the one you were talking about before, you couldn't remember her name, Diane. Diane. Diane, like, she... Her boo-boo. Yeah, her boo-boo, when he comes to, like, meet up with her in the dark garage, you know, as you do. So sexy. Um, High school's a weird time. <laughs> that's true. I, I think it was definitely, definitely got fingered, like, on a park bench. I left a stain in an ex-boyfriend's dad's car. <laughs> Oh, my yeah. God. oh no! See, mine was to Ed avoid. Father asked, Ed father asked the boyfriend if we had dropped a cupcake on the seat. Oh my God, <laughs> Sophie! Oh my God, I had the decency to be fingered in an outdoor space so that no one's parents would have to be involved, 
and his friend who was driving the car just drove around the sculpture garden in circles until we were finished. <laughs> oh, let me be explicit. I, I had sex in the car. Oh, okay. So we, I guess you had sex in high school. <laughs> I guess that's like what the cool kids did. But, you know, I think that some people um, would agree that cool kids waited till they're in their early 20s to have sex. <laughs> some of us leave stains in high school some of us leave stains later in life <laughs> <laughs> if, if our podcast ever gets enough listeners to make a t-shirt <laughs> I want a t-shirt that says some of us leave stains in high school some of us leave stains later in life <laughs> anyway in a future Christmas card coming your way um Okay, what I was going to say is when uh, she meets up with her boo-boo in the garage, he's, like, basically saying very similar things. When she she's not comfortable with, like, going... He wants her to leave with him and go have sex, and she doesn't want to. Um, she's, like, scared, and she's, like, I'm hanging out with my friends, and they're all going to make fun of me. And he is, like... I, like, he's basically telling her the same things, being, like... But I love you, and you should come with me because I want to. So I also thought later on having the killer give that monologue was, like, made it even creepier. Because all things he's saying are things that, like, dudes say sometimes, like, when they're trying to convince a girl to go farther than she's wanting to go. Um, Not the I killed everyone for you part, but (laughs) the other part. But it makes you think. It makes you think, like, okay, where is the – when does it jump from just, like, oh, but I love you, so we should have sex, to, like, oh, but I love you, and now I'm obsessed with you. Right. Um, So I sort of want to, like – I want to get into closing thoughts about the movie, and my closing thought is, as I was reading the IMDb trivia, there was a really fascinating quote that I appreciated, but also – think is really just kind of interesting to talk about so the director amy holden jones um there's a quote from her on imdb so i think she has gotten historically some pushback being a female director of a movie that does have like female nudity and exploitation in it and what she says is that's what roger corman the producer wanted and that's how it's done you give the studio what they want Nobody complains that Scorsese, Jonathan Demme, and Ron Howard made exploitation pictures, but when a woman tries, she gets called a hypocrite and a turncoat. That's bullshit. Mm. Um, I think it's really interesting, the idea that, like, um, it feels like, I mean, truly, like, she feels like she's being held to a higher standard because she's a woman, um, when, like, she obviously was probably getting less chances than some of these other directors. And, like, is it really fair to hold her to that standard when, like, clearly this movie did have some really cool things going for it and did some really good things? Um, I mean, to me, it feels unfair to be like, yeah, but you're a sellout because there were boobs in your movie. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And especially if it's, like, it's kind of like what she said where it's, like, if she didn't do that, she wouldn't have got that movie made. Right. And I don't necessarily think that that's wrong. 
like to play by the rules just enough to get it done, but get it done with your own spin on it is pretty right. impressive. Right. Um, I also feel like, um, I read, I'm trying to remember where I read this. I read an interview or I saw a quote from one of the actresses in this that was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, like, the nudity was a thing you just had to do in the 80s. Like, if you were an actress trying to get in movies, like, you just had to be willing to do nudity, and that sucked, but that's what you had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's not fair to – I feel like we don't typically have those kind of criticisms for, like, women who are just starting out as actors and had to be nude. Um, and obviously, like – she was a director, she had a little bit more power, but, like, I still think if, like, the funding of your movie is dependent on these uh, male producers staying engaged and they want there to be nudity, yeah. a, in the early 80s, you don't have a whole lot more say yeah. than women that are acting in the movies. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a solid point. So, do you have any, like, lasting points you want to throw into the movie before we move on? Um... I love one of the earliest deaths um, where the girl gets her arm cut and then realizes as she's in a very small hiding place that the blood leaking from her arm is going to go underneath the door and Uh give away her hiding spot. I thought that was actually really cool uh, and a fun idea. Yeah, I don't know if you had this reaction, but she, like, grabs a – because she's in the locker room. Yeah. She grabs a towel – to like try to wipe up the blood on the floor, but then she picks up that dirty ass towel and puts it on the cut on her arm. You're like, ooh, gross. Towel on your arm right yeah. Now. Well, so I, in particular, I love that skit. I love, or that skit, not skit, that, <laughs> that, that skit, that piece. And this week we're covering SNL, Slumber Party Massacre Um, and I, I loved, uh, the whole space baby. I love that girl and her outfit and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I really liked that, the movie. And for me, like similar to what we, when we talked about secret obsession, like, um, and how the scene with, uh, him grabbing her arm and how that freaked her out and how that rang true to us because of experiences we had had, like, the monologue that the murderer gives, like, when we're not really given very much about his motivation or his backstory, and he just sort of starts saying, like, I love you, and, like, I saw you, and I loved you. Like, that rang so true to me, and, like, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I personally one time was in a gay bar, actually, and had a man, like, reach inside the back of my shirt because I had a very low like low back on my shirt and he like reached in and grabbed my boob and I didn't have any I didn't have a bra on so he grabbed like my bare tit and looked me right in the eye and said I love you and then walked out of the bar and like to me that whole experience was so much more like chilling because I was like why would you say that and like what do you think that means right and so like him delivering that monologue at the end I found actually like so creepy yeah definitely and because i listened to like when he sort of transitions into like because he's basically saying i do all these horrible things because i love you girls yeah yeah it it rings very true this idea that like the system that we live in allows men to behave in ways that are completely 
unacceptable and they are able to just be like well but like I'm really into you I really love you so yeah I, I just do it yeah and like I remember like that night when that happened I was out with some friends and I got like really upset and I like went in the bathroom and I just like splashed some water on my face and basically like gave myself a pep talk in the mirror like buck up champ and when we were leaving my friend John was like hey do you want to go home and I said, like, if I went home every time that that happened, I would never leave the house. Right. It's like that, I don't know, that that whole monologue to me just rang so true for, like, I don't know, there just be creeps. Creeps be creeping <laughs> all around. Well, I think we need to give this movie uh Bloody Mary rating on our scale. Mm. Somewhere between one and five Bloody Marys. I'm going to give minutes. it I'm going to give this one four Bloody Marys with an olive skewer. Oh, damn. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. Um, yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I think like Four Bloody Marys is a solid choice. And I was going to say with pickle juice, but based on our uh, personal additions, that's yeah. like we're right on the same page. Um, oh my God, stop talking like exactly the same thing I'm saying. We're so in tune. Oh my God. It's piece of our needs. <laughs> I just showed someone um, publicity from Nick Roll Show for the first time and they did not appreciate it. And I was like, I don't know if we can. I had a similar experience um, on a date where we got high and then I suggested we watch Girl Show, but I chose an episode at random and I chose one in the last season, which I forgot was when like everything is connected. Yeah. And like, I felt so bad because he was lost entirely. In my head, I was like, it would have been fun if I chose like an episode from season one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, our next episode is going to be based on a different movie, Not Our Needs. Um, so I want to give you your homework ahead of time so that Hannah has less reason to rebuke you next week. Um, we will be covering the That's right. I'm Blumhouse, always watching. Blumhouse release Sweetheart, written and directed by J.D. Dillard and starring Kiersey Clemens. Um this is a Blumhouse movie that went directly to VOD, so you can rent it from Amazon or Voodoo, Google Play. Most of those places will have it for you. Um, I have seen this movie already. I would recommend that if you don't know much about it, I would go into it knowing as little as possible. I think that will make your viewing experience more interesting. Um, I will keep that in mind because I have not seen it yet. Yeah, don't like watch a trailer. Don't read anything. Just watch the movie. I think that's the best way to watch it. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> All right, our news piece for this week comes from Utah. Uh, A Utah woman was charged with lewdness after being caught topless in her own home. Oh, come on. A Utah woman has been charged with lewdness in her own home after her stepchildren walked into a room and saw her bare chest. Attorneys for the ACLU of Utah argued this week that the statute under which Teeley Buchanan, age 27, was charged is unconstitutional, Ugh. and they have asked a judge to drop the charges against her and change the law. Buchanan and her husband were installing drywall in the garage and had taken off their shirts because they were itchy from fibers. 
her stepchildren aged 9 and 13, sorry, 9, 10, and 13 walked in and she explained that she considers herself a feminist and wanted to make the point that everybody should be fine with walking around their houses or elsewhere with skin showing. Now, the state has charged Buchanan with three charges of lewdness involving a child. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. Oh my God, Utah. The charge is a class A misdemeanor. Though her husband was similarly clad, he was not charged with the crime. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) So she was charged after the mother of her the mother of the children heard about the incident and called the reported it because they she was concerned. The article comes from NPR. Um, so that's our article for this week. Um, please feel free to free your nipple and support Tilly Buchanan um, in this absolutely bonkers. Oh my god, especially in your own goddamn place. home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, kids walked in, but like, they're nipples, and everyone will be fine. Yeah, it's not like she was like. Walking around the house screaming at them, look at my nipples, which I'm a nanny, and the boys that I nanny do that to me all the time. I don't report them. Nothing sexual is happening. Like, her nipples were out, but she was, like, doing manual labor. Yeah. Walk in on a sexual situation. That's so true. That's crazy. So, you know, being a woman continues to be bonkers. Um, If you have stories that you want to share with us, you can send them to us at 28dayslater at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at 28dayslady underscore er and send us all of your favorite uh, banana stories. And if you have any recommendations for things that you want us to watch and discuss, send those our way. Um, I'll take them under advisement, (laughs) depending on how well you do your homework. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like Santa Claus, but I keep very detailed spreadsheets. You don't think Santa has a spreadsheet? Nah. No way. He's really fallen <laughs> off the last few years. I think we all know that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, this has been delightful, and uh, we'll see you guys for brunch next week. I feel like our going out thing should just be like, clink, like our cheersing. <laughs>